0: If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. We're going to divert from 1 Timothy for just a little bit, for the next few weeks really. um, And stay on this Christmas theme, there's so much to be learned. Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. Luke chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever And his kingdom will have no end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity as a congregation, as a group of believers, a body of believers, to come together and celebrate your Son's birth. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for, Lord, for those that you have brought with the talents that they have that we can just celebrate appropriately, celebrate properly. The the birth of this uh, precious child that you have given us. This gift to the world. Um, and so, Lord, we we do so in this season. And we want to bring our own attention, our own hearts and minds and thinking to to the story that we've heard so many times. The story that we we know so well, but, Lord, so often we kind of glaze over it been read to us since uh, young uh, since we were young and so many times we we forget the details we forget the the meaning we forget the significance so i pray lord that today as we just rehearse these things just these few verses that you would be honored you would be glorified and our hearts would be inflamed enriched ignited for a with a passion for your glory and to spread this good news that's been given to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we uh, just briefly, just five or ten minutes or so, uh, looked at the, um, the God's message to, to Joseph. And this week uh, I just want to look at God's message to Mary. And next week we'll look at another message. It's from God, but it's a different person. But this is from the angel. Now God uses angels. He used angels in the Old Testament, used angels in the New Testament, but he these angels do his bidding. They are just messengers from him. That's just he uses these angels and they they came individually to Joseph and Mary and gave this announcement. And you can imagine the two of them finally getting together, huh? Joseph coming to Mary and saying, Mary, I've had this uh, message from God. This angel came to me. And Mary said, yeah, the same thing happened to me. And they begin to compare notes. And what would they say? They say, what did he say? Yeah, what did he say? And Joseph would say, well, we're supposed to call his name Jesus. And he gave me the purpose. He said, he will save his people from their sins. He's not going to be a carpenter He's going to be a savior. He's going to be the savior of the world. And Joseph would turn to Mary and say, um, uh, Mary, what did he tell you? What did he say? Mary's going to say, well, uh, he, um, he will be great. Of course, we're going to call his name Jesus. That was consistent there. He's going to be great. He'll be called the, the son of the most high. He'll be given the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom will reign forever. Now, that's kind of an extensive little speech there. And they would kind of compare notes. He said, this, this sounds just like the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets uh, prophesied about. And they would be right. In comparing notes, that's what they would conclude. That this is the anticipated Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for for so, so long. And they would conclude that this is no ordinary baby. And what would they be full of? They would be full of excitement and hope and encouragement, right? This message from God. But let me just remind us that this isn't just a message to Mary and Joseph. This is a message to the world. This is a message to the world. This is a significant baby. This is no ordinary birth. This is the birth of the Messiah. You say, why is this so important? Why is it so important to me? I mean, I've already, uh, I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and what difference does this make to go over this material? Here's, here's it. Here's what's important. We are saved through faith. It's faith that we're saved through. That, that's hope, a hope of eternal life. We put our faith and our trust in one person, and that one person is this baby. And he was he was born 2,000 years ago in a foreign country. We put all of our eggs in this one basket. All of our hope lies within this baby. Now, hope is important. Hope is very important. But I, I think we fail to see that sometimes. The world understands how important hope is. They're always looking for hope. I saw a commercial the other day. You probably have seen it. And it, it said, said this. The world runs on optimism. What is that? That's hope. The world runs on optimism. And they went through how their company is the most optimistic. And they've got optimism toward the future. But let me just tell you. The world's hope is pretty shallow. It just is. The only optimism that we really can have is just in the next generation. Our children and as we protect them and see that they succeed and, and we educate them and it goes from generation to the next generation and we hopefully will get better and better and the idea is someday maybe we'll find this cure for death and there will be some kind of utopia here on earth this heaven on earth and and that's our hope that's the world's hope it, we recognize well not in our generation but maybe So so this kind of this false optimism is there, and that's the world and let me just say that is pretty shallow. That's not real hope at all. That's not real hope. The Christian Christians have real hope. And it's rooted in this story right here. It's rooted in this truth, in this word. The Christmas story is a story of real hope for the believers. The believers put their hope in this one person, Jesus Christ. Now, just reading some of the commentaries, one of the commentaries says this is a prediction from the angel. This is no prediction from from angels. This is a declaration from God. He uses angels to do this. You say, how does it relate to us? Let me make some connections, connect the dots here. This is spiritual truth. And this spiritual truth, folks, feeds our hope. This is what our hope is based on. It is rooted on, according to Peter. Peter says that we are born to a living hope. It is a hope that does not die. It's a hope that is breathing. It is going on and it's moving. It's a dynamic of life. And this kind of hope produces hope. Life within ourselves, within us. It produces an energy. It gets us out of bed in the morning. It produces happiness. It produces a joy in our lives. And the more we feed upon this truth, it produces hope within us. And, and the more we feed on this, the more confidence we have in this Jesus Christ, in this Messiah, in this Savior. So it's good to rehearse this because it strengthens our faith. Which produces more joy in our own hearts. So hope is very important. It's very important. And this is a message that is given. And it's truth that feeds the souls we might say. Now here's what I want you to see. Gabriel's message. And he's the angel that talked to Mary. Gabriel's message to Mary should be a consistent source of hope that strengthens the believer. The more we read this, the more we saturate our minds, the more we understand this, the more it settles into our thinking, the more hope we have, the more strength we have to live out the Christian life on a daily basis. There's three aspects of this Messiah that we need to be aware of. This passage for us, just these three little verses, answers for us the question, what did the angel say? What did God tell us? What was so important that God wanted to tell us about this Messiah? Number 1, verse 33, 32. He will be great. <laughs> now that's just simple, isn't it? Simple little statement. He's going to be great. Now every mother wants to know that their son or their daughter is going to be great. And, and we kind of see it as almost like a, an understatement. And it, we might say well, it's kind of according to your perspective, Right? Because the world doesn't see, I mean, they look back at the life of Christ and yeah, he was okay, great, I, I'm not so sure of. I mean, compared to Alexandra the Great, the world would say, oh man, Alexandra, he's great, he was great. According to your perspective, and they have put Jesus in kind of the category of a of this teacher this kind of guru who uh, almost like a, a hippie movement kind of thing who cries out for peace and in his time and and love your enemies this Roman oppression and we, we have to love them anyway and they kind of put it in this historical context and and they just uh, distort the whole story but let me say, God says he will be great and and I'll add to that, there was never a time when Christ Jesus was not great. There's never a time. Now the thing is, is many times we don't recognize it. We, they didn't recognize it back then. And we many times don't recognize it today. But he, he was great in the past. He was great. He lived a perfect life and he was the first man to ever do so. Perfect life. He was the only man to ever do so. And people didn't even recognize it. You say, well, how would we recognize it? What does is, what, what is perfection look like? What does the perfect man look It was in Christ. But let me show it to you in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, we've been studying Deuteronomy on Wednesday nights. In Deuteronomy 10, come across this verse. It's a wonderful verse. Verse 12, let me just read it to you quickly. Now, Israel, what does the Lord God require from you? Now, here it is. Okay, uh, Israel. Moses is talking to to this second generation. He says, "Okay, what, what is required? What is what is God expecting here? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk all His ways, walk in all His ways, love Him and serve Him, and keep His commandments." Now it sounds very similar to the um, to what Micah the prophet said in Micah chapter six. In Micah six, let me see if I can find Micah chapter six. In verse 8, he says this, and you'll recognize this verse. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's two of the same thing. That's the same thing. That's the perfect life. We find that so hard. We find that so hard, but Christ didn't. Christ did nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. He did everything with humility and complete dependence upon His heavenly Father. We see that in John. Let me just, again, just read some verses to you. Just to, You need to see this. John chapter 4, verse 34, he says this. Jesus said, and this is the perfect man. He says, my food, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's the mindset of the perfect man. In fact, it goes over in chapter 6 and verse 38. He says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's a surrendering of my will to God's will. And I will do whatever God asks of me. And Christ Jesus lived that perfect life. Every word, every action, every motive, Of his heart, every attitude was pure, and every aspect of the law of God he fulfilled. Now that's greatness, folks. That is greatness. The world may not recognize that. In fact, what did the world do? They crucified him. They put him on the cross. They didn't recognize that greatness. They probably can't even see it. They say it takes genius to recognize genius. Maybe it takes perfection to recognize perfection. Because what do we do? We tend to read our our own inappropriate motives into other people. And we kind of suspect, oh yeah, I see what you're doing there. It looks good. But oh boy, we know your heart. But you know what? There is twice that God said, He he looked down upon this earth. and, And when Christ was here, and He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased, a perfect life. And he was great. That's greatness. Christ is that was perfect in the past. Christ is perfect now. Christ has been exalted by God. And you can read that in Ephesians chapter one. I won't take the time to do that. But he was exalted. And what did and what did God do? He put everything under his feet. He is over everything, including the church. He's the head over the church. And and that's greatness. And He will be great in the future. And this is one verse I will turn to. And that's Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Let me just remind you of this. He says this. For this reason also God highly exalted Him. That's, that's greatness. Highly exalted Him. And bestowed upon Him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Probably talking about hell. Every single person. There's no exemptions. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday we will recognize. Someday everyone. Someday every person on this earth. Every person that has ever existed in the past. Every person that will exist from in the future. Will bow the knee. They will be forced to. They will be forced to recognize His greatness. That's our Savior. That's our God. They will be forced to bow the knee. Here's what the difference is. With us, what do we do? We voluntarily, out of love, see, I will bow my knee. I will surrender. I will live my life to the glory of God. I will surrender my own will. I will only do what the Father wants me to do. Just that same perfect life that Christ did. Sometimes I don't believe we recognize the greatness of Christ And sometimes I believe that that we we serve a defeated Savior, kind of a a weak, anemic kind of Christian, and the world says, Where's the hope? Where's the hope? Does the world see a great Savior based upon your hope? Because they connect the dots. They connect the dots. Is your Savior great? (laughs) Or is he feeble? Is he kind of weak? Is he just this little baby in the manger? Now let's move on. The first aspect of this Messiah is that he will be great. Number two, uh, go back to Luke chapter 1. In the middle of verse 32, he says this, And he will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be called the Son of You know, it's so easy for us to just gloss over that and just, just kind of forget about that. Some cults use this verse to say, see, he's just called the son of the most high. He's just called the son of God. He's not really the son of God. He's just called that people misinterpret and put that title on him. They say, well, that was a misunderstanding or or they may say, no, he just became the son of God in his incarnation when he came to earth. They misunderstand that verse, and they they say, "Well, he's not deity, really. He was just called deity. He uh, he just became deity. He wasn't deity in the past, and he really isn't God in the sense that we know God." I like what Calvin just cuts right through the chase to the chase, and he says, "He was called the Son of God because he was the Son of God." The past, present, and future. Mary knew the significance of the terminology that he used here. The, the word most high, it was used in the Septuagint. In the Septuagint. And, uh, that would have been the, the, uh, the Greek translation. And it probably, it could have been the, the translation that they would have used when Mary went to the synagogues. They could have read from that, maybe. The Greek translation of the Hebrew. And it was the word for Elion in Scripture or in, in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint. And it just, it mean, it was a title for God. Anyone who had that title was, it was equal to God. He was the Son of God. And the Jews would have understood that. They would have understood if you were the Son of God, you were making yourself out to be equal with God, the Jews said. And what did they do? They crucified Christ because of that. There's no question here. He was the Son of God. He, he was God in DNA, we might say today. Or a carbon copy of God. Exactly. Identical. Now, Mary asked this question. Mary says, well, how, how in the world is this going to be? And if you look at verse 35, the angel says, and we would ask the same question today, we would ask, how are these things going to be? And the angels answered and said to her, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for this reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. He was God. Planted into this virgin womb, the DNA of God Himself. Now, folks, that, that, that's beyond me. I don't understand that. But somehow, the God of the universe became man. Took on flesh, Paul tells us. <clears throat> Christ is the Son of God. He didn't become God at that moment. He was already God. He was no lesser God he was the Son of God throughout all eternity. You say, well, why this kind of terminology? Why, does it, why didn't the angel just come down and say, God is coming to earth. God is here. Well, we would have thought a monotheistic kind of God. And that would not be accurate. That would not be accurate because that was a, that's a misunderstanding of the Trinity. We serve a triune God. And the, and the angel wanted to be accurate here. So there's accuracy for the sake of, of the Trinity. The angel could have come down and said, well, he's going to be a God. No, that's not quite accurate either. We would have thought of polytheism. We would have thought, oh, there's many gods. No, there's one God. And, and they share the same, well, you would say, DNA. One in essence. Three distinct persons. You know the doctrine of the Trinity. But that's what is stated here. And so he uses this term, Son of God, to communicate the best we can with our finite minds what the relationship of the Trinity is the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity came down to earth. Three distinct persons, one in essence. The second person of the Trinity came down to be God. Now that is profound, folks, He was God. Christ Jesus is God. He was God by very nature. He was fully God. We have to go back to Philippians chapter 2. Paul does such a good job in communicating this. Here's what happened. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Having this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not exist. Regard quality with God, equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He didn't hang on to that title. He humbled himself, it says, and became obe- He emptied himself and taking on the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient. He submitted his will, his identity, and he submitted all of that to Christ or to God the Father. And he says, I'm going to come down to this earth and I'm going to be, I'm going to limit myself to what the Father tells me to do. I will not just do whatever pleases me, I will please my Father. You say, Well, why is that so significant? Because he was fully God, he had the nature of God, but he was also fully man. He had the characteristics of God, but he also had the characteristics of man. But he never sinned without the sin. You say, how does that strengthen my faith? We do not deal with an amateur here. We do not have an amateur savior. We don't have a a, a savior second class. No, it is just God Himself. Now, there's another element here leaders sometimes have to be distant because they have to have a, a clear head sometimes leaders have to uh, pull themselves apart from their people so that their emotions and feelings don't cloud their mind and cloud their judgment and thinking for the good of the the company or the good of the whole god did not do that he did not do that he sent his son and he dealt with men directly he came down to earth. He was not distanced at all. And he knows what it's like to be a man. He knows the pain, this God. He knows the disappointments and struggles of life, the heartaches of life, the misunderstandings of life. And he knows full well what it means to be man. But yet, he is all powerful. He has all knowledge and all wisdom, all holiness and all integrity. All in one person, combined in one person. There is no limits with him, and yet he is sympathetic. He is compassionate. He knows your struggles every day. And he has the power to do something about it. Folks, that is hope. That is hope. That is hope. So the Messiah, he's going to be great. He's going to be God. Look at number three. Number three. He will reign on the throne of his father David forever. Look at verse 32. The last part of 32. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, we're going to put 33 in there with that. And he will reign over The house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, So you get the concept. That's one whole concept. He is going to be given his father's throne. God only God has the power to do that. He's going to be given that throne and he's going to reign forever. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I won't take the time to read that. God made a covenant with David. God made a covenant with David. That that David's throne would be an everlasting throne. That he would put someone in that throne, in that place, to uh, to constantly, continuously reign. So within this message, within this message from God through the angels, is one fact, and that fact is that um, that God remembers His promise with David. This is this is a God simply keeping His promise. Now, Israel disobeyed. God scattered them. Uh, the Messiah came. They rejected that Messiah. God scattered them again. And somehow, some way, God pulled them back together. Uh, almost two thousand years later, and they became a nation again. And in Revelation chapter sixteen, what we see is Christ someday is going to come back in a blaze of glory, and He will reign over the world. And he will do so through the nation of Israel. And he will be done in the the nation's capital of Jerusalem. It's a physical kingdom. And his kingdom will start at the end of the tribulation. It will go through a a thousand years of millennial reign. And after that, there will be a little skirmish with Satan. Satan. And all of his armies and he will wipe them out and Christ will usher in an eternal state, a new heaven and new earth. Turn over to Revelation chapter 21. Now listen, you need to understand this. This has to be in our thinking. This is part of the Christmas message. Revelation chapter 21. I just want you to read this. This is, this is an image that we need to have in our mind. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there was no longer any sea. didn't have any sea to it. And I saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Just look, just beautiful. Just prepared just right and just, just coming down. The Jews would have recognized that. They would have identified with that. They would have seen, seen that. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among man. What does that mean? The tabernacle, the tent, the, the place of, of worship. And he is now among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God Himself will be among them. Because God, Christ, is now man, he can come and live among men. A God is spirit. Well, he's among us; we just can't see him. But now Christ is going to come down. We're going to see him. We're going to see his glory. Everyone's going to recognize his greatness, and he will wipe away every tear of their uh, from their eye. And there will be no uh, no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. And the first things have passed away. Folks, this whole life, this world is going to be gone. There's going to be a new one. And Christ is going to usher that in. And it's going to be wonderful. And this, I like the, last, the first part of verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Okay, we're going to start from scratch. This is all going to be new. New heaven, new earth. And He will reign through the nation of Israel. He will reign forever. And here's the good news. Where are we in all that? The first thousand years, we're going to reign with Him. And then we're just going to be with Him forever. And into eternity. Folks, we can't even comprehend that. But well, let me just say, this is going to be God. And God, He is in all of His glory now. We just can't see it. But God, someday, He's going to come to this earth, and we're going to see it. And it is going to be physical glory. And we're going to see the brightness and the glory of His greatness in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is going to be displayed for the world to see in a physical way, a physical way. Folks, this is not just blind faith. We put our faith and our hope and our trust in this word, in this message from the angel, from God. We put our hope in that and that should ignite us. This gives us reason to live. This feeds our and strengthens our faith on a daily basis. And we have no reason to doubt His promises because He always keeps His promises. We submit ourselves to this Savior here and now. So this message, Gabriel's message to to Mary, should be a constant source of hope and strength to believers. This baby, he will be great. He is God. And he will come down someday and he will reign on this earth forever. And we will be with him. Folks, that's hope. That's real hope. And that's a message that the world needs to hear. This is no shallow hope. This is long-term security for us, isn't it? We don't think small. We think big. We think big. This truth produces real joy and hope in our life. Our existence will not just pass away. We will not die at the end in nothingness. That's the world's thinking. We have a purpose here. We have a reason for being here on this earth. And we, there is an eternity. Uh, folks, the world needs this message. The world needs this message. Now, here's, here's what the world needs, though. This world needs Christians who are living out this kind of hope that the world sees and says, that's what I want. That's what I'm missing. I don't have any hope in my life. The world sees us living with hope and they say, what is that hope that lies within you? We say, let me just tell you. It's the story you probably already know. It's a Christmas story. It's about a baby and this about this angel coming. And here's what the angel says. And I believe it. And I put my faith and my trust in that. And it has changed my life forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. How precious it is. How good it is. Lord, we read it and our hearts burn. We want to live that perfect life. We want to live in total surrender to You. And we find ourselves we find ourselves going our own way we find ourselves confused and and misunderstood and 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 not not understanding these things sometimes but lord you know that do you know what it is like to be a man lord you you have the sympathy you have the empathy for us you understand these things and yet you are god you are all powerful you can do something about our circumstances Lord thank you for being our Messiah thank you for being our, our God who comes to this earth and reigns for, with us forever Lord may our hope may our faith never waver may we be strong in you and strong in Your promises. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Powerful message. Powerful message for you guys. But it's a powerful message to the world. The world doesn't have hope. The world has shallow hope. Folks, we have the opportunity during this Christmas season to share real hope. And it extends beyond this life. And so... Let, let the Let the Holy Spirit take his word and, and work in your heart. let these these truths seek deep down into your life. Let them change you. let them change the way you see this world and then then folks let 's just take this message let' us take this message, let's take every opportunity to share the hope that lies within you. It is a real hope. we put our eggs in the right basket. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do so. We have some elders down front. I'll be in the back or even during the week. Please just let us know. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We we love to help you spiritually or any other way that we can. Father, we thank you again for the hope that we have in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.